This is The Hidden Wire Podcast, episode 710, my interview with Steve Sims. It's all about blue fishing, the art of making things happen. I hope you guys enjoy it. Cheers. Hey, what's going on? It's Lee here. Welcome to the show, the interview of the week. Today, I'm interviewing a guest. His name is Steve Sims. He is the man who created Bluefish, the internationally famous company that makes once-in-a-lifetime events happen for the rich and famous. And he reveals to the rest of us his trade secrets for making things happen. Man, he is an inspirational dude. He's very raw, energetic, and just just full on. I absolutely loved speaking with him. I loved his insights. We didn't really talk too much about his story, whilst it is that fascinating. He um, has gone from being a bricklayer to really now creating these amazing experiences for the rich people, amazing events. Um, For example, helping people get married by the Pope in the Vatican or being serenaded by Elton John, just amazing things. He shares a couple of the stories in this show, but really it's more about the lessons he's learned from really facing his fear, going from a bricklayer and pushing through those fears, pushing towards wealth. And as he describes wealth, it's all about the relationships we have in life. Man, it's a real cool chat. I think you'll get a lot out of it. I certainly did. Towards the end, guys, I apologize. One of my children woke up and started making a bit of noise in the background. I don't think you can hear too much, but... um, Look, I hope it doesn't affect the quality and the joy that you get out of listening to my discussion, my conversation with Steve Sims. Make sure you do pick up a copy of his book too. It is called Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. Guys, enjoy this one. Talk at the other end. Cheers. Steve Sims, welcome to the Hidden White Podcast. How the heck are you? Oh, I'm having a great time. I'm thrilled to be here. Sounds like you're having a great time, mate. What a, uh, a marvellous story <laughs> and... Um, Probably a lot of people are envious of, of the sort of business you've set up and the lifestyle you lead, but tell us, um, blue fishing, that's the title of this, this show, and that's going to probably intrigue a lot of people. What is blue fishing? It sounds like the blue zones and how to live longer, maybe. <laughs> uh, well, I suppose it's how to live better. Um, <laughs> blue fishing was, uh, my, my concierge firm used to have this funny little password to get into our events, and one of them, the password was bluefish, and it was, it was only meant as a bloody joke. But then because we ended up doing amazing things like closing down museums, um, getting you drum lessons by Guns N' Roses, sending you to the Titanic, this word bluefish kind of morphed into a word of its own. And people would literally phone me up and they'd go, oh, I did a birthday party and I bluefished the crap out of it or I was bluefishing it all the way. And it became an adjective to those people that just went, okay, here is where I am. Let me take it way further than I should be able to and bluefish the hell out of it. So bluefishing became a, um, I don't know, a, a way of people describing how far they took it. So that's in sense of how much greater they made the experience or the event or anything like that? Yeah, it was really just a transformation to take it from where they were to an area where they didn't think possible. So if you achieve something that everyone thought couldn't be done, then you were bluefishing it. Right. Okay. So that's obviously aligned with the title of your book, which was published last year, Bluefishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. Um, and I think that's really what we want to talk about today is I want, to, I want to find out a bit about your story first. Don't get me wrong, Steve, but I also want to talk about what you've learned as far as making it things happen, making the impossible possible perhaps and um you know sharing what you can with the audience so we can we can all live more extraordinary lives i think that's a great there's enough podcasts and stories out there to tell you where i got to where i am 
So let's let's try something different here and give you all the impact to help your people become better than what they are. Yeah, absolutely. But quickly, what what um, what got you started in the concierge business? Uh, oh, I never did. Um, I'm <laughs> luckily this is not on video because I'm the guy that you see walking down the street and you cross the road. I'm two hundred and forty something pound of ugly, and <laughs> I was built to be a doorman, and so. That's what I did. I was a, I was a construction worker. I'm a biker from East London, still a biker, but now in Los Angeles. And I started working on the door. And bit by bit, I knew I wanted to get into circles of affluent people. And to get into any circle, you've got to bring value to it. So I just started knowing where the best parties were or throwing in myself purely as a means to be able to socialize and talk to affluent people. Um, what was the drive was to what, what was the motivation to be around more affluent people? Was it just that that attraction to that lifestyle? Look, I was a bricklayer from London, so mm. I had no money right. and I didn't like it uh, like most people don't. When you haven't got a lot of money, it, it stinks. Um, and so you know people say, oh money don't make you happy. Uh, it begs to differ. it bloody helps. Um, <laughs> And I just thought to myself, I don't have any money. I want to make money. If all of my friends are dirt poor, then guess what I'm going to be? So if I start making friends that are rich, I can find out, how did you make your money? So it literally was a Trojan horse. It was a case of, if I can have a network of really affluent people that talk to me, relate, and open up to me, I'm going to learn the tricks and the trades to become wealthier than what I was. And as I say, I had no money. I was making four to five hundred bucks a week working on the door and get a punch in the head every night by some slap happy drunk um so you know by i wanted out of that world and this was my way of doing it and before i knew it i was communicating with people and it's just accelerated and the more i've been doing it and i've been doing this for 25 years now i'm happy that you know i've been hanging around with you know everyone from joe polish john paul dejuria richard branson elon musk uh, Peter Diamandis, Elton John. You know, the list is endless of the people that I now have in my Rolodex that I've been able to work with, communicate with, hang out with, and ask these questions. And I love meeting someone that's hugely successful and just going, all right, where did you fail and why were you happy about that? Or what was your biggest mistake and how did it benefit you? And what was the biggest painful moment of education? Because let's be honest, our biggest education, our biggest growth usually comes from our biggest disasters and our biggest failures. Mm. Yeah. And so I've been able to communicate with these people and actually get the answer. And that's what's really been exciting me. My whole job has been nothing more than a rouge to be able to hang around with highly successful people mm. and get paid for it. <laughs> well, they say we become like the, the people that we hang around, right? Is that something you believe? That's what I said. You know, I was hanging around with a bunch of poor guys. And um, we had no money. And so, hence, I was the, uh, the correlation of all of those. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. Uh, I've, got, I've got several questions from that. Um, and the first one is, I, I totally understand, you know, you had that motivation. You're a bricklayer working on the doors. Um, you know, it's not the lifestyle that most people want. Um, so you, you have, you're highly motivated to, to increase that, have greater experiences, things like that. Now, there's a lot of people out there um, like that. You know, there's a lot of people that want more. Not in a greedy sense, but they just want to have a better experience in life. But the motivation takes them so far. What is what what made you go that extra step? And what's stopping people, I guess, from 
not going that far, even though they have perhaps the motivation there? Uh, most people's biggest enemies are themselves. Mm. Uh, and most people, and I'm being, I'm being a real dick here, most people give up two seconds before they're about to gain success because they're frightened of what it's going to do to them. Yeah, right. Um, there's a lot of people out there that will turn around like your best mate. And you turn around to your best mate and you go, oh, I'm going to launch my own, my own florist or I'm going to launch a hotel chain in the Maldives or I'm going to launch an aircraft company. And there's that guy or the girl in the corner that always turns around and goes, you can't do that, Steve, you're stupid. Yep. And those people don't want you to be successful because it will show them that you're more capable than they are. Hmm. Now, the trouble is, we also have some of those people inside us. And we're scared of actually becoming successful. We're scared of being in a room full of people that are very wealthy because we look at them and go, oh, they must be smarter than us. Some of the richest people in the world are, are incredibly intelligent and brilliant at one thing. And that's what's made them successful. Hmm. Some of the richest people in the world never went to college, never went to university. They literally just, you know, Jean-Paul de Jouria, Mark Zuckerberg pulled out. All of these people now are saying to themselves, hey, we're incredibly educated, but school has not been where we've become educated. Yeah, yeah. And so you get a lot of people that are intimidated by money, intimidated by success, and scared that if they're successful, what is it going to do to their circle? What is it going to do to their friends and family? What is it going to do to their relationships? And so they literally pull, pull, the, they pull the plug. They get so close to it and they're like, oh, I gave it my best shot. No, you didn't. You didn't. You were damn close and you stopped. You let yourself stop. But is that something we're conscious of? Like when we get to that point where perhaps we're that close, but we just go, oh, I can't keep moving forward. I, I don't feel it's something that people will actually go, yeah, I'm, I'm going to stop. I know I'm right there, but, you know, just success freaks me out or, you know, I don't know how it's going to change my life. Well, people are always frightened and um, we work off of fear. You know, you, 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 think, that's, you think that's bullshit. Hmm. You walk on stage one day at your next event. I've actually done this. You walk on stage and um, you, you, you say to the guy, well, you say to the crowd, uh, you say, hey, run out the back door and I'll give you a million dollars. How many people are going to run out the door? You may get two or three people run out the door, okay? But if you're on stage and you turn around, you go, fire. Everyone's going to run out the door based on one word. Hmm. We run from things that we're terrified of rather than using the same acceleration to things that we desire, want, and lust for. Mm-hmm. We, are, we are a fight or flight mechanism. Now, for me, working hard, getting up at 2 o'clock in the morning, you know, going after proposal after proposal, negotiating with people, trying to get into places, I don't like any of that. I absolutely do not like that. I actually love my bed, and I love cuddling up to my wife in the morning. I don't like getting up early in the morning. But you know I do it? Because the fear of me not living where I am, the fear of me not being able to go to a restaurant and being able to afford anything I want, 
the fear of me getting to the end of the month and not being able to pay my mortgage pushes me to do the things I don't want to do. Hmm. And it's the things that I don't want to do that allow me to do the things I do want to do. So I have actually taken that fear, that little nagging devil inside me, and I've used it to fuel me. And some of the biggest people I've met are serial failures, and they allow those failures, they allow those mistakes, those disasters, those fuck-ups, they allow those to actually refine them rather than define them. Hmm. And as the old saying goes, the fight's not over when I go down. It's when I stop getting back up. Yeah. I love it and, and couldn't agree more with everything you've just said. The um, you know, running away from what we're terrified is, is often that motivation that gets us going. And you know, we have the dreams. We have the visions, perhaps. Uh, perhaps we're not connecting with them deeply enough. I'm not sure. But um, it still seems that then another fear must come into play then because if we're running terrified from the life of you know, poverty or bricklaying or whatever we dislike – um, towards that dream, and then we get close, but just can't have the the motivation to push through because of saying fear on the other side. Is that fear outweighing fear? And how do we how do we sort of tap out of that? Well, you, you you've got to want it more than than you don't. Yeah. Um, and that sounds a stupid thing, and I don't want to be sitting here standing and saying quotes. But the first thing you need to understand is no one said this was going to be bloody easy. Hmm. You know these people that launched a company and like five months later, sell it for $30 billion. You look at those and you go, my God, I wish I had one of those. Yeah. But what you don't realize is the 20 years prior to that actually happening, the amount of shit that they went through to get to that final solution. All the work, yeah. You see, there's, there's the old saying about, you know, 10 years to become an overnight success. Hmm. Um, you know, you look at Elon Musk, for argument's sake, and the amount of crap he went through before he even launched PayPal. And then the amount of crap he went through when he owned PayPal. And then how near bankruptcy he was when he used the money after selling PayPal to launch SpaceX and Tesla. Yeah. And even now, the rubbish he's going through within Tesla and SpaceX. If you think these things are smooth and when you get there, it's all smooth sailing, it's not. Being an entrepreneur, having success... Is, is literally like standing on a surfboard through a turbulent sea. It's rocky, and you don't know where it's coming from. You've just got to be prepared to absorb it mm. and learn from it and grow from it. So the bottom line of it is be prepared that the shit's going to keep coming, and you've just got to want to have it more. And the way I do it personally is I count those little moments. I really do rejoice in the little moments. Mm. And I took my, my mum and dad are here at the moment, okay? And I live in Los Angeles and they live in England. My mum and dad came here and I took them to a, to a beautiful restaurant in Beverly Hills. And I paid the tab and I left. And I was proud of myself that I didn't have to worry about the credit card going eh, eh, maxed out. Yeah. You rejoice in that. We all know, every entrepreneur knows what it's like to be sitting up on a Thursday night knowing that you can't pay payroll tomorrow. Hmm. Being scared at the end of the month because your rent's due and you haven't got the funds for it. Selling your favorite watch or you're hocking your motorbike or doing some part-time work to be able to cover your electric bill. 
You know, all of us know what that's like. And dear Lord, never forget it, because that's going to be the thing that gets you up at two o'clock in the morning that makes you do the shit you don't want to do so that those moments never come back. Yeah. Hmm. But do rejoice. When you walk down the street and you buy uh, a cup of coffee or you buy a book or, you know, you need some new tires for the car, so you just, you know, pull it in and go, I need four new tires. Rejoice with the moment that you can do that because there's a lot of people out there that to them, you're rich. Yeah. Yeah. How do we, um, what's your advice around sustaining the momentum and persevering through adversity, challenges, etc.? It's, it's the little, it's the little blocks. It's the little Lego bricks. Hmm. So it's very easy. It's very easy to have, um, to lose track of where you've come from. And to compare yourself to those that are bigger than you and better than you. I had a client of mine in, in Palm Beach once, and I was planning something for him. And I spoke to his wife, and I said, oh, you know, can I speak to X? And she said, oh, you know, he's not in a good mood at the moment. And I was like, why? You know, and she's like, oh, he's, good. he's very stressed. Why is he stressed? And she said, well, you know, he's, he's trying to get the money together because he has to get this, this uh, aircraft. And I said to him, why does he have to? I said to her, I said, oh, why does he have to get that? Thinking it was like for business. She said, well, you know, everyone else around him has got this aircraft. And so he's like bending over backwards to get it. Yeah. He felt that he was poor because of the people he had surrounded himself on or with living in a fantastic house in Palm Beach on the ocean. Hmm. You know, $20 million plus property on the ocean. And he was depressed. Yeah. So people, you've got to be able to look at where you are, just like the meal, just like the, you know, buying the tires. So that as your income goes up, you never forget the little things. And so when the shit happens and you can't afford the latest new car, huh, you're not worried about it because you can still pay the mortgage. You can still buy that meal. Yeah. So you've got to put the, you've got to, you've always got to be thankful of the little victories. Even when maybe you're not winning the war, it's the little victories you've always got to say thank you to yourself for. All right, yeah. So just looking at sort of how far you've come and then the wins you've had. Um, always. And never forget, mm. always, hold on to that pain. Mm. Hold on to that shit that you've gone through because that's what makes you most qualified. Yeah. That's what will make you get up at that 2 o'clock in the morning. If you go, oh, you know, I, I want to earn loads of money so I forget – I forget what it's like to do all of this. Don't do that because you'll, one day you'll end up back there again yeah. because you won't see the warning signs. But if you can actually go, well, hang on, I don't want to get up at 2 o'clock in the morning, but I know why I am because I know what that feeling's like. Hmm. Here's a funny thing. At the end of the month, every single month, I get an email at the beginning, like the first or second of the month, um, and I, I have nothing to do with my finances. My wife handles absolutely everything, okay? But at the beginning of the month, I get an email saying, thank you for your mortgage payment, okay? It's standard. We all get that. It's an automated bloody email from my mortgage company saying, thank you, your mortgage payment's posted to your account or something like that, okay? Mm -hmm. 
And my wife says to me, oh, shall I just take your email off of that so I get I go, no. There's nothing that makes me happier every month than not knowing anything until I get that email and feeling completely thrilled with myself that I paid the mortgage. Stupid little thing, but I paid the mortgage. A nice little reminder. Hmm. Every month I'm reminded that I didn't lose sleep, I didn't panic, and so I'm prepared. So every month, getting that little pat on my back going, you're a big boy, you paid your mortgage. Things that people take for granted, I rejoice in. So rejoice in the, in the, in the little things. Yeah, I like it. How do you, I suppose, starting out, um, you know, you have that motivation, that burn, that fear behind you, driving you forward. How do you find the focus? And I suppose staying focused towards a longer-term goal or vision, you know, because a lot of people out there will go, yeah, this is great, this is what I want to do or don't want to do anymore. But what can I do to get there? What can I do to make things happen and, and to make things shift? Well, you should always hear, we seem to have a running theme here of fear. You should always maintain that fear to drive you forward. But when you're looking at what you should do to become an entrepreneur, first of all, ask yourself, is anybody else doing it? Um, and I, I was with a consultant client the other week, and I said to him, they were getting into a new business. And I said, okay, tell me about the business. What is it, what is it doing? Is it, is it solving a problem? Is it creating a desire? And so they started talking to me, and I said, okay, where's your competition? And they turned around to me, and um, ignorant shits, and they turned around, and they went, we've got no competition. I said, well, you've got no business then. If there's no competition, it means there's no demand, there's no desire, there's no need. Uh-huh. So Apple is the second largest computer company in the world. And do you think it's upset about not being the first? Absolutely not. But it knew that there was a demand for personal computers because it had already been proved that there was a demand for it. Mm-hmm. So be happy about the competition. So if you think you can do something, what competition is out there? And then when you know there is competition out there, in your circle, in your Facebook group, on your Twitter page, whatever, say, hey, I'm moving into this industry. Anyone got anything that they think I should know? And get, be prepared to listen. Listen long. You know, hmm. I listen to everything. A lot of people think that the smarter you get, the less you listen. The smartest people in the world are those that constantly listen to any opinion and then will discard it or utilize it. Yeah, happy to ask the questions. Open. Be, yeah, be totally open. And you'll be amazed that you're going to get some of the, the smartest ideas from the most remote, remote places you ever thought could have happened. Hmm. It's, it's, I've, I've had, I went to a party a, a few months ago and I was in New York, just outside of Manhattan. And uh, I went up there, and I parked the car, got out, and there was a valet guy talking to another valet boy about something. And it caught my attention. We had a couple of seconds chat on it. And then I was waiting to drop off the key or to go into the party. And I ended up chatting with him a bit more. And one of the other guys went off. And I, I went into the party, and I was in the party for maybe about 20 minutes. I got my drink, came out, found the valet boy, and went and just sat on the bench and just continued the conversation. Mm. 
And it was amazing to kind of, he had been in the music industry and he had done a lot of traveling. And we were talking about traveling, the pros and cons of what he liked about it, what he didn't like about it, what it meant to him uh, about how he doesn't have a lot of money, but he has to travel. And this is why, because you get richer the more you travel. You get opinions, you get perspectives. You have to travel to get those. And I liked, his, I liked his position so much, I gained more from the valet guy at a billionaire's party than I did from the crowd inside. Yeah. So yeah. be open to listen to anybody. It's so true, isn't it? I mean, I love, I love the opportunity just of this podcast alone to be able to speak with so many diverse and amazing people. Um, and I always say you can learn something from everyone. So it's just about oh, let's be honest. finding the that's, lesson. That's, Having a podcast is, is really just a, a tremendous excuse just to talk to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. It's a, yeah. it's a selfish thing, isn't it, really? Yeah, good for you, Pat. I'm doing it, so good for you. What, um, do, you do you coach people around like that direction, like saying, okay, well, this is where you are right now. You, you're just struggling. You, you want to get out. You want to do something different, but you don't know what it is. Do you help people with that, like finding, understanding what, you know, finding a purpose. Yeah, I do. I do. That's one of the first things, find, finding your roadmap. Um, if you haven't got a roadmap, then you're lost, let's be honest. Um, so I've got a number of things that I do, and this isn't a pitch, but uh, I, we're just putting together a course for people that kind of want to get some peripheral ideas. Uh, we're, we're just finishing off that course um, so that people can look into there. But I have, I have a private community called The Speakeasy, and it's an international group of entrepreneurs and we do coaching through Skype, through Zoom, and through two or three events a year. And the whole point is to, first of all, audit your potential. You know, what are you possible of doing? If you're three foot tall, I'm not going to coach you on how to become the best uh, um, dunking champion in the next NBA basketball. Uh, so we look at what your your strengths are, your weaknesses, and then we ignore your weaknesses. As Dan Sullivan said, if you focus on your weaknesses, you end up with some really, really strong weaknesses. Yeah. Um, so ignore them. Get someone else to do it. Focus on your unicorn. Focus on your strengths. And where can those strengths be monetized? And if you can find something that you can do repetitively better than somebody else, and make money from it, you got a business. If it's awkward, if, it's, if it creates friction, if it's difficult for you to do, and you can't make a lot of money out of it, then you're broke. You just don't know it yet. Hmm. So we actually audit your potential, and then what we try to do is audit uh, the three circles to find out what your unicorn is. And your unicorn is that last 5% that makes you brilliant. Now, the bottom line of it is I can um, – you know, I can go down to the mailbox and post my letters. Yep. So can you. That doesn't make either of us better than the other person. But what if there was a person that for some reason was lightning fast and, you know, like the Marvel character Flash could hmm. take your, your letters down to the mailbox and be back again in one second. Now, that person is worth employing because it takes, it, it, it's faster for him to do it than you to do it. You now have more time to do what you're brilliant at. So the first thing we do is audit your potential to find out what you've got to play with, what you can do, what your direction's at, and then we coach them through how to find a roadmap to make it actionable. Yeah, yeah, cool. Do you, do you find that, because, I mean, looking at your strengths, looking at your skill set, 
usually I feel that it'd be aligned with stuff that you actually probably enjoy doing. I mean, there's always stuff that you maybe don't enjoy doing, but do you find that with the people that you've worked with that majority of the times so the things that they're strong at are actually the things that they also enjoy? Uh, it has to be. Um, you know, uh, Joe Polish actually calls business elf business. You look for an elf business, easy, lucrative, and fun. If you find that people are having trouble doing what they do, then sooner or later they're going to throw it in or sell it or want nothing to do with it. Now, I'm fine with people making money on a business and then positioning it for a sale, but people that actually do what they're good at doing, passion comes in. And when you've got passion in there, it's, it's, like, an, it's like nuclear fuel. You can't be dissuaded. You can't be turned away. You mm. can't be refused. So the trick is to find something you're good at Find something that you uh, you enjoy doing, and finding something that is passionate within that area, and that is where you've got your nuclear fuel. If you can wrap those three things together, then you've got a business that is easy, lucrative, and fun. Sounds awesome. What advice can you give us around making things happen? Because actually, let's ask another couple of questions just to to, to entertain our guests, I suppose. But when you first started out, what was a couple of the first memories you've had of? experiences, events that got you into some some pretty big circles? So I was the doorman of a nightclub in Hong Kong. I know exactly the example to give you. Um, and I started turning, if there was regulars that would come to our nightclub, and if one night it was a little bit dull and boring, I would turn them away. And I would say, hey, guys, not tonight. I know you're regulars, you're local boys here, but this isn't the club for tonight. If you go down the road, speak to Johnny on the door, tell him Sim sent you, you'll have a better time there. And that was building me credibility within that, that group, okay? Mm. One day, these guys came to me, and there were four guys, and they were expatriates. Uh, in fact, I think a couple of them were Australian. And um, i say it was in Hong Kong. It was in Wan China. It was a club called Neptunes. And they came up to me on the door, and they said to me, oh, are you going to the yacht party tonight? And anyone that knows Hong Kong will know that it's pretty much all a harbor. So I didn't know what yacht party these guys were talking about. So I stood on the door and I'm like, ah, I don't know, I don't know. Well, which one are you talking about? I had no idea. So <laughs> they tell me about this. And I said, oh, well, why aren't you going? Because these guys were four good-looking, affluent spenders, which any party in the planet wants that demographic. Um, and so they said, oh, you know, we, we, you know, we can't get in. You know, we don't know how to kind of do it. I said, oh, okay, fair enough. Well, look, enjoy your night inside. So when they stepped into the club, I said to my fellow meathead, I said, look, hold on a minute. I'm going to, you know, and the harbour wasn't very far away from me, like 10 minutes walk. So I said, you yeah, hold, know, hold the door for now and I'll be back. It was early evening. So I went down to where they were getting the party ready on the boat. And I walked down to this girl that had the clipboard. And I said to her, hey, how are you? My name's Steve and we got guests coming over to the party tonight. I just wanted to check. You know, I know it's going to be quite busy around nine o'clock when you open up your door. So I just wanted to know, do you want them there right on nine o'clock? Or would you prefer if they came at 10 o'clock to allow the line to clear down a little bit? Hmm. Now, the first thing she did was start flicking through a flip chart. And if you think about what I just said, I never even mentioned the guy's names. But it was an instant reaction for her to be doing this. She didn't know how to answer me, so she started looking through her flip chart. And I said, hey, look, I know you're busy, so I'm just trying to help here. You know, you're, you're trying to show that you understand what they're going through. You're, you're empathetic. You understand 
what this poor girl is going to go through at nine o'clock that evening. A bunch of arrogant people that have already got a couple of drinks in them that want to go and party hard at some socialized shindig. Yeah. And so I said to her, I said, I'm just trying to make it easy for you. Do you want her to be here at night? I said, and I'll be honest with you, you know what it's like. You know, I know what it's like. I'm in the same business as you. Again, there's the old saying, you know, they won't care unless you show you care. So I said, look, I'm in the same business as you. And more than likely, these guys are going to turn up. They may not say thank you like they should. So there's four guys turning up. I gave her 400 bucks. You know, a $100 tip for each guy. Hmm. Now, bear in mind, I was making about five to 600 bucks a week, and I was getting tips on top. So you're backing yourself. So I had just given this girl basically most of my wages away. And she was like, oh, thank you. I said, look, don't worry about it. I know what this is like. And, you know, trust me, I would not be doing what you're going to be doing tonight. So tomorrow night, hopefully that tip will buy you a bit of food and a nice bottle of wine. She was like, oh, thank you. What are the names? And I gave her the four names and she wrote them down on the front. And she said, have them ask for me. I said, thank you. And again, did you want them here at nine or did you want them there at 10? Never ask a question where the answer can be no. Yeah. So she said to me, let's get them here at half nine. I'll make sure it happens. Thank you. Have a great time. By the way, if you ever need to contact me, here's my details. That girl now used to contact me about every party that was going on in Hong Kong. Hmm. Okay. I went back to the club. I walked up to the boys and I said, boys, I actually just made a phone call. You know, you know, I didn't. I walked down and saw her. I didn't even have a freaking cell phone. And I walked up to the boys and I said, uh, hey, boys, I just made a phone call. Had to pull a few strings and grab a favor, but you're going to the party tonight if you want. And they went, oh, that's fantastic. I said, no problem, no problem at all. 500 bucks per person. <laughs> and, I, and they went, and they pay. They were paying me that $500 per person. And I think actually one of the guys just pulled two grand out and gave it to me. Yeah, so, well. And he would get the money from there. I noticed one glaring fact then. People will pay to save them the, the uh, embarrassment from getting a no. Hmm. And so I actually, that was my first thing. Then I used to go around to a lot of social events, get access, and then go and sell that access to people that met that demographic. Yeah. Right. And so people will quite openly pay money to not look foolish or to get refused in front of other people. Hmm. And that was the first, that was the first, and you say to me, Oh, when, when was the starting? Yeah, when was the first time that it was that night? As that counting out two grand, I was like, I can see through the window here. I can actually see. And, and that's where it started. Yeah, aligned with your strength, saying you already did. Obviously, talking with people. What is uh, a story more recently? Because um, you've been doing this for quite a while now um, that stands out to you as something pretty, pretty what, what a lot of people would think impossible, but is happened then i've got another one that's going to follow the theme and uh, give you the opposite end of that um i had a client that wanted to have a uh, wanted to go for a restaurant wanted a high-end restaurant reservation in uh florence so mm. i know the guy was very affluent and very powerful so rather than just booking him a restaurant in uh, in florence 
I actually closed down the Academia Museum, which is the famous museum that houses Michelangelo's David. Yeah. I set a table of six up at the feet of David, and then halfway through dinner, I had Andrea Bocelli come in and serenade the six of them. Hmm. Now, that was absolutely incredible. Over the top, shutting down an entire museum where you can't even walk in with food and drinks, and I'm having a, a five-course meal being prepared. Yeah. And then I've got one of the most iconic Italian singers ever actually serenading six people. His smallest venue ever, six people. <laughs> um, he's got more people than that and his family that he sings to. So, so that's what I pulled off. Now, here's the story behind that. That evening, the, Andrea Bocelli is just getting warmed up. My clients haven't even turned up yet. I'm with the head of the museum. And I said to the head of the museum, now, if you remember earlier on, I said, never ask a question that you can get answered with a yes or no. Never do it, okay? Until it's too late. And so I'm now in the museum. This guy had given me friction about getting this done. I, was being, I had to be very careful how I tread to be able to get that venue. So as we're both there and we're looking at the dinner, we're looking at the special lighting that we had brought him in, I was speaking to him and I said, it looks beautiful, doesn't it? I didn't care if he turned around and said no. And he turned around and said, yeah, it does. And I said to him, I said, um, how many times has this been done before then? And again, none of these questions bothered me because I was already in. Yeah. He could have said, I hated it. I've done it a million times. I'm never doing it again. I don't care. You know, I was already done. So I said to him, how many times have you done this before then? He said, never have. First time. And I said to him, well, that's amazing. Now, up until that moment with those first two answers, my chest was about the size of France. I was yeah. so puffed up on ego that I had pulled this <laughs> off. And I said to the boy, because I was going in for the final rub, I actually said to him, I went, so why did you do this? Expecting him or hoping at that moment he was going to finish me off by going, no one's as charismatic as you, Steve, or no one's as connected as you, or no one can negotiate as good as you, Steve. I was expecting my final <laughs> compliment. Instead, he turned around and he went, no one's ever asked. <laughs> now, I got deflated super-duper fast because I realized, just like my four guys at the nightclub in Hong Kong, yep. the most people don't progress because they refuse to ask. They won't ask for the deal. They won't ask for the money. They won't ask for the referral. They won't ask for the door to open. People are scared of asking nowadays. Yeah. Now, I'm just a... I, I started life as a, a whiskey-drinking biker from East London. I live in Los Angeles now very well, but I'm still a whiskey-drinking biker from London. Yeah. I can't spell for shit. I'm not built like Brad Pitt, but I can talk to people. And I'm never frightened to ask for what I want. But when I do ask for what I want, I make sure I bring value to you. Hey, I want something. That's pretty obvious. I'm, I'm talking to you. It's obvious I want something. But I'm aware 
you're going on concert, you're launching a new movie, you're trying to raise funds for this. You know, do your homework and go into every conversation with a value that can help you stay in the conversation. You see, getting your foot in the door is no longer, no longer the talent, is no longer the trick, is no longer bloody hard. The real talent is being so irresistible that they don't want you to leave. Yeah, yeah. And that's where the value is. So those two stories hopefully will tell you that most people nowadays, they're too scared shitless to actually ask because they're frightened they're, they're going to get a no. Now, I've had no's. I've tried asking questions that you can't answer with a no. And for some reason, they still say no to me. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's never stopped me breathing. It's never altered my blood circulation. It's never interfered with my mortgage payment. Saying no can't hurt you. Accepting it, well, that can do a whole ton of things. So if you do get a no, you're asking the wrong question or the wrong person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's some good advice. I want to encourage the uh, audience to jump out there and pick up a copy of your book because I'm sure there's a lot more advice in the book as well and, and stories um, that leads to that advice. So, um, yeah, jump online, guys. Check it out, thehiddenwide.com, episode 710, and you can um, pick, up, pick up a copy of that book. Mate, I've got some quick round questions for you, Steve. Um, you ready for these? I'm, I'm not sure, but go for it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you have any routines or rituals that you believe contribute to your success? Yeah, I try something new once a week, um, and that can be listening to music from a country I've never even bloody heard of. Um, it can be listening to um, – I was listening the other day to Portuguese rap um, for no reason other than the fact that I'd never heard it before. I'll go into a restaurant, I'll look at the appetizers, I won't recognize one of the things, and I'll order it. So every week I try to do something that's new and different to my pattern from the, from the week before. I like that. What is your definition of success? Being able to go to bed at night knowing that my family is safe, warm, secure, uh, fed. Um, that's my idea of success. Knowing that I can phone up a friend and talk to them when I'm not happy. Uh, success to me is about wealth. And wealth to me is about the relationships that you have. None of it is about money. Yeah. What advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? <laughs> uh, I've been asked this one many, many times, and I've always tried to think of a very articulate answer, and it's never worked. So the easy one is I would, uh, if I saw myself in the bar, the only advice I would give myself is to stop drinking shit whiskey, uh, and it'll all be okay. Um, as I said to you at the beginning of this conversation, our greatest strengths and growths have come from our biggest mistakes and failures. I kind of wouldn't want to miss out on those harsh mistakes and upsets I've had through my years because those, those have been what have allowed me to grow. Yeah, nice one. Nicely said. Do you have a tool, skill, resource, or technique that uh, helps you with your effectiveness or productivity? Yeah, talk to, talk to people. Talk to people? It sounds daft. I was actually called a master communicator when I was on an interview in, the Lon in London, and it pissed me off. I'm not a master communicator, but everyone else has got so bad at it, I'm actually starting to look pretty good. <laughs> so I actually will be in a bar, and I will talk to the barman. 
you know, and I will ask them, oh, you know, what's, what's the best whiskey and why do you like it? You know, I will actually speak to people yep. and keep on focusing on my ability. Now, here's the funny thing. I'm an introvert. Believe it or not, hmm. I'm an introvert. So it's actually hard for me to go into a room and start a conversation with someone. But I will force myself to do it because it's a skill set that quite simply is become is going to become rarer than a than a bloody unicorn with three testicles. Everything else in the planet you're going to be able to download a program for, if not now, five minutes into the future. But there is still no app that you can download that teaches you how to build a relationship or to communicate with people. And the more we get distant because of you know cyber and internet and social platforms and AI, the more the necessity to connect is going to become. And with us not being able to connect, the more scarce is going to be able to form real relationships. So talk to everyone and start building up communications, an imperative tool that you need to grow with. Hmm. Yeah, true. If I were to serve you your last meal, what would you request? Well, as is my last meal, probably a very big one. Um, <laughs> it would probably have to be a, a Florentine steak with a, a nice glass of Japanese whiskey. Oh, Japanese whiskey, okay. Oh, yeah, the good stuff. What is an activity um, that gives you the greatest sense of joy? Um, I actually race motorcycles with my son. Um, yeah. He's 21 years old, sadly faster than me. But getting onto the track and just like hauling the bike out at like 130 mile an hour next to your son going into a corner, that's a pretty cool little moment for me. We did it again last Sunday. So, you know, that that I would say is one of them. The other one is um, barbecuing with the whole family, you know, just cooking up some burgers, some steaks, some chicken. Everyone's drinking, chatting, laughing. The music's going. That's, that's good times. What would, be, what would be a book that you'd pass down to future generations or your children? One book. What? It can't be mine? <laughs> of course it can. Um, <laughs> um, well, obviously, Blue Fishing by that fine, attractive man, Steve Sims. Um, one of the books that really caught me, and I've read all the, you know, the different books from friends of mine, you know, Tucker Max, uh, Ryan, Ryan Long, Tim Ferriss, all those kind of books. And yeah. they're, they're great books. They're absolutely fantastic mm. books. But one book that really kind of shook me to my core was one that Jay Abraham gave me. And it was All the Places We Shall Go or We Shall See. And it was a cartoon book by Dr. Zeus. And he gave it to me and he went, read it to your son. Uh, read it to your kids. And I remember saying to him at the time, yeah, my wife reads these books. And he went, no, 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 no. You read it to him. And it's a really good book about the ups and downs that you don't see coming, how to react to them. They're going to happen. They're going to come. Rejoice with them. And I read that book, and it was such a startling roadmap to the world of an entrepreneur. It's a real kiddie book, but you'll get a lot out of it. So the Dr. Zeus, thanks to Jay Abraham, and I should give a plug. Anything written by Jay Abraham is brilliant. But that book from Jay was, uh, was a real life changer for me. So what was it called, the title? Oh, it's either Oh, the Places We Shall Go or Oh, the Places We Shall See. And it's uh, Dr. Zeus. All right, I'll stick the link in the show notes, guys. So check it out there yeah, as you well. Do. Yeah, you should. And I'm telling you, get it, read it to your kids. And as you're reading it, it makes a great story for them. And you'll be like, 
Ah, it's a great book for lessons. Yeah, love it. What would be a quote, phrase, or message you'd text or tweet to everyone in the world? It would be one that my old dad gave me. No one ever drowned by falling in the water. They drowned by staying there. Hmm. No one ever drowned by falling in the water. They drowned by staying there. Yep. Do you believe we all have a hidden why or a purpose? Yeah, I do. I absolutely do. I think we're all unicorns. We've just got to find it. What does living life with passion and purpose mean to you? I think you've sort of answered this, but... Oh, I think, yeah, I think we've spent most of the, uh, the episode on this. Um, being able to do things that you love doing easier and repetitively. And what do you believe is the underlying motivation behind everything you do now? Um, I live to enrich my life through access, education, meeting people, knowledge. I love education. As I said at the earlier stage, I think school had nothing to do with it, but my goal is to continue learning. That's another reason why I try something new every week. So that motivation to continue learning, to progress. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, if you don't use it, you lose it. Yeah, absolutely. Mate, it's been a fantastic conversation. Thank you for sharing. You make my job easy. Um, <laughs> so I uh, appreciate you coming on today. Just want to encourage the guys to, to reach out to you. What is the best um, places to get you and connect? I know you've got a few different sites and companies and things. Yeah, you know, if you jump onto the uh, that, that thing called the, uh, the internet and you type in Steve D. Sims, S-I-M-S, uh, stevedsims.com you'll actually be able to subscribe to my newsletter if you do that there's actually a pdf there uh, which is a cheat sheet of the book bluefish and the art of making things happen so you can get a little sneak peek see if you like the tone of the actual book so stevedsims.com you'll be able to get a whole bunch of information before you you waste 16.99 or whatever it is <laughs> Guys, check it all out. I'll stick the links in the show notes to all that we've discussed, um, plus some of the key takeouts as well. Steve, thanks very much for taking the time out and coming on. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Let's connect again. All right, guys, until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcasts. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do 
everything with greater purpose. And in doing so, you will discover your hidden why. This is The Hidden Why. My name is Lee Martin Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon.